There we go. Tap, tap, tap. Is this thing on? I think it is. All right. We got the gains all the way up, so hopefully that's fine. All right. Um, all right. Lisa, thank you so much for doing this. I'd love to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, my name is Lisa Pollock, and I'm the Chief of Communications for the Boston Public Library. And that job is just as cool as it sounds. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm, uh, I grew up reading all the time. Books are one of my favorite things. Of all the things uh, my mother would allow me to spend money on or spend her money on, she always said, um, you know, I will buy you Lego sets up to a certain amount of money. I'll buy you a certain amount of Hot Wheels cars. I'll always buy you books. Um, but you could just go to the library. Um, and my mother actually works here, so she's downstairs right now. Um, so, you know, I sort of I grew up and spent a lot of time in, in the in this building, um, either with her after school or um, doing all sorts of activities. Whenever she was like, "Go away," I just found comic books to read or any of the books that I wanted to read and just checked them out. Um, and uh, growing up in Roslindale, I would head to the Roslindale branch. Um, spend time there, do some of their uh, writing competitions, win tickets to Fenway. So um, libraries were a big part of um, my life growing up. And uh, I remember when applying to college, um, I was looking at a bunch of schools and I went to see Yale's campus. And I don't, I don't really like Connecticut, but I do like, yeah, I do like Yale's library. And it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous space. And um, I think I nerfed my application by saying, they were like, why do you want to go here? And I was like, the library, I love the library. And then I didn't get in. Um, and that's how that works sometimes, I guess. But uh, that's my background. That's why I was so curious and looking forward to speaking with you. And um, I just think libraries hold a very special place in society, but one that sometimes is, uh, I don't know, maybe brushed under the rug a bit or, or taken for granted. Um, so I thought I'd start with asking you uh, the first question, just what's the mission of the Boston Public Library? Mm. Well, I'll start by saying that um, one of the things that's great about this job is that everybody has a library story, yeah. right? And, you know, libraries sort of have this halo effect to them. Everybody knows the library. But very often I find that people don't know why they love the library yeah. or why they love the library of today. Because the library of today looks very different from the library that I grew up with. Um, my mother was a librarian. My very first job was um, checking out books for her, and I can still remember the feel of the cards and the, car the smoothness of the card catalog. So, you know, like I said, everyone's got a library story, and often they're very, like, tactical or sensual or whatever you want to call it. But what's interesting is that the library today is different than the library of yesterday, true, but the mission has remained the same. Hmm. And the mission carved in granite over the entrance to the McKim building says, free to all. Hmm. And one of the things that's been incredibly inspiring about working here is how rigorous the institution and the people who work here, including your mom, are in making sure that all means all. Hmm. Doesn't matter who you are, your socioeconomic status, your creed, your ability level, your language level, we can be and try to be all things to all people. So all means all. That's our mission. So with free to all, um, obviously a, a massive goal, a massive mission, one that's, you know, it's hard to say you would ever fully accomplish. And, um, but what does success look like with that goal? What, what does a successful year at the library mean? It's so hard to quantify. But, I mean, success to me is about impact, right? Are we changing people's lives? Are people's lives richer because they've walked in the front door? Um, so while I can't give a metric necessarily, yeah. I think it's in the stories that, that we hear, right? Everyone's got a library story, but the stories that we hear of people who have gotten jobs or, um, you know, uh, one of my favorite stories was um, this gentleman was in a, a video that we produced um, at one point, and he said this one thing that really drove home for me the impact that a library can have, which was uh, he came from a Spanish-speaking country, um, and he came to English as a second language, although 
second is an interesting choice of words, but um, he came to our ESL classes here. Yeah. And, um, and he learned English. And in the video, he said, now I can go to a bar with my coworkers and have a conversation. So simple. Right. So simple, but so, so meaningful. Like yeah. he was able to build a community and become, you know, a, integrated into the society of his choosing, right? Yeah. I mean, how just it's it, that that really struck me in that like one small moment. And then another moment in that actual same video was we were talking with a gentleman uh, who had been working with one of our social workers here. And at the time we filmed, he was unhoused. So he was taking advantage of some of the social services that we have here. Um, and then the screen faded to black and it said like, on July 1st, he got the keys to his new apartment. Whoa. And from the very, very small to the very, very major. Um, and that's not even, like, we're not even talking about books yet, right? Yeah. That's, that's what's so remarkable to me. Yeah, that's actually, that's great. So um, I opened this by talking about books. and. I think we're introduced to like the library in your school, for example, that's a book place, you know, and then um, so I don't remember probably when I was in fifth or sixth grade. So like 2011, 12, computers started being like a, a big deal to have in libraries. And and, you know, there were there were fancy new ones. And suddenly that's what that was their computer room or the technology room. And you would go there um, and. Uh, I, I used to go to a lot of events at the Connolly Library in JP and, is it JP? Hmm? Yeah, okay, so in JP and um, uh, they had, as soon as you walked into the doors, right as you went in on the right, there were like uh, VHS tapes and movies and stuff. And so for me, you know, growing up, always being told that reading was like the main thing, and I do still think books are better than movies. Suddenly I could get movies at the library and suddenly there was uh, CDs and um, there were movie events at the library. And, and so at this point, I'm sort of, I'm not confused, but, but what, what does... You're intrigued. I'm intrigued by what is a library these days? What does it mean? Do we have a definition for that? What a wonderful, wonderful question. So at its heart, I think that a library is a place that pulls together and curates information for mm. people. And that information can be to whatever end you choose. So it can be research. I mean, the BPL is somewhat unique in that we are a fully public library that is also a research institution. There, mm. I, I think we might be the only, if not one of the only in the United States. So that can be what you're looking for, or you could be looking for just enrichment. You could be looking for a movie, but we have all of that for you. So I think it's about enriching people's lives. A library is a place where people can go to enrich their lives, and that could be in whatever way, you know, in what, it, it can take whatever form you want it to take. Yeah. So whether it be DVDs or streaming and downloading or a class or just coming to use a computer or frankly, just sitting in Bates Hall and taking all, taking in the grandeur. I mean, you know, I, I, we used to joke, "Who needs WeWork? We're the, we are the OG third space." For sure. Right. For sure. So, and we're one of the last places where you can go and not spend any money, and we invite you to just come and do whatever it is you need to do here, within the bounds of our appropriate use policy, of course. Sure. <laughs> but. Um, that's what we're here for. Yeah. So I, I think the I think the short an my the short answer to your question is uh, a library is a place where people's lives can be enriched in yeah. any way that they choose. Yeah, and and you know with free to all and it, you know it's in the name the public library, um, and as you mentioned, you there's you're not pressured to spend money to enjoy this place, uh, and you can the idea that a library card is free to me as a kid was totally my I was like this is an insane because it's magic it doesn't make any sense right like you should not have no no sorry not you should not have it did not make sense based on the world I grew up in that I could have access to so much without giving up anything the idea that that was um a given was was crazy to me mm -hmm. as a kid and even today um you know I've, I've I don't remember I think it was somewhere on social media I just read this idea that like if someone proposed 
in today's world a library and they didn't exist, they would never exist. It's an idea that has survived and been um, been given life by people who understand how important that idea of free information is. But if it were to be reintroduced now, it would be very difficult for people to understand all this is free. We're just giving to everyone. It's not like a secure locked box space. We just, everyone can walk in the door and walk right out the door. Um, and so having that kind of access to to all sorts of information, as you said, enrichment at uh, times research, um, uh, how does how does the BPL choose what stuff to have on hand for people or do or do they choose? It's a great question. Uh, we actually have selection committees. Okay. Um, and so we have uh, groups of library staff um, and they are, you know, they are on committees dealing with different subject matter areas. So you could, we have, we have library staff who are sort of experts in manga. Uh, we have library staff who are experts in world languages or fluent in languages other than English. Mm -hmm. um, we have people who are total like movie buffs. Um, and so they make recommendations about what to select. Also, little known fact, there is a space at bpl.org where you can recommend books, movies, Whoa. yep, and music for us to purchase. Um, and those are taken very seriously. Uh, every now and then we'll see on social media something will pop up like, oh my God, they took my selection. It's here. That's great. Which is awesome. So yeah, I mean, we are, you know, built by the people. We are for the people. And uh, we, want, we want to hear what people want to read. So what? So with um, so things are no longer as physical as they once were. I remember my uh, my English teacher in seventh grade. His name was Mr. Rossiter. Um, one of the primary assignments we would have upon starting a new book was to smell it. He would just be like, "Open it, smell the book. What does it smell like?" And it was a. And he was a great teacher, and he was an insane man. He he still is an insane man. But um, he just that idea of. of it's, it, it stays it's with me. It's, it's, it's tactile. tactile yeah. I, I love owning books, mm -hmm. even though um, that's not necessarily something the library is going to do for me. But just the physical idea, I, I've never been a Kindle person. I've never been a Nook person. I don't read on these computers. Um, but some people are. And so um, has have ebooks changed the way libraries work in the sense that you take one out when it's a digital item? It's a very, very interesting time for you to be asking this question because uh, there's, there's some legislation moving right now um, and a lawsuit. Um, the publishers actually make it really, they make the ebook landscape extremely challenging. Uh, mm -hmm. We would argue there's price gouging going on. Um, mm -hmm. It costs far more for a library to have an ebook um, than it would a consumer. Um, and the publishers actually only license ebooks to us. So after a certain amount of reads or checkouts, um, it, the, that license expires and it goes away. So we don't actually own the ebook. And uh, we have a huge problem with that. Uh, we think that um, access to information should not necessarily be controlled by um, public interests, excuse me, by private interests. Sorry. Um, but that's not the question you asked. So the, the question is, what we are learning as libraries today um, is that it's really about the mission of enriching people's lives, however that looks. Mm. And so the books are here um, if you want them. And I really know what you mean about the smell. I sometimes go yeah. up into the research stacks and you know I walk up there and I'm just like, oh, the smell, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I get it, and those are here, and they're not going away. But you know, for the first time during COVID, actually, um, our um, electronic, uh, our electronic uh, checkouts actually exceeded our physical checkouts for Whoa. the first time. Yeah, and I think that in the past, people saw eBooks as competition. Mm -hmm. But that's not really the way we look at it. Um, as long as we're getting resources into people's hands, we're doing our job. For example, uh, we just launched a, a program uh, in conjunction with the Mayor's Office of New Urban Mechanics. It's called Browse, Borrow, Board. Whoa. And along selected bus routes, you'll see these big blue decals with QR codes on them. And if you scan the QR code and you put in your email address, 
an email address, just your email address. Um, you have access to ebooks and electronic magazines and music. So no library card necessary. Um, and it's a curated selection that's meant to be easy for people to read during their commute. And so um, somebody outside at said, well, what, what does the library get out of that? You know, that doesn't seem to make sense. And I said, the library gets resources in the hands of people. Mm. That's it. That's all we're here for. We don't want anything back in return. Yeah. So it's a very, very cool program. So if you see a big decal, scan the QR code. Nice. Is it, is it difficult to... Um, you know, I, I think I think what that conversation sort of highlights is how different of a uh, direction the library operates in compared to basically any like any other institution, which is that there's no we're not looking for something or you're not looking for something in return. And the idea is not um, like you said, there's no transaction, really. Um, and and. It's, you know, it really is like shifting into a different gear in your mind when you, it's, you know, in a way it's a freedom that you don't have to think about things that way. And in a different way, I feel like there might be a communication barrier between someone like you who's saying, hey, uh, it doesn't matter. We're just, we're getting resources into people's hands versus someone else on the other side or someone outside of it trying to make the connection in their brain that the library doesn't need anything in return. Is that... Is that ever a conflict that comes up or an understanding? Not in my experience, hmm. partially because libraries have been around for so long. Yeah. So as you said, if you tried to introduce the concept today, uh, I think it would be a very different, um, a different conversation. But, you know, we've been around since the mid-1800s. Yeah. Um, you know, the McKim building, which you walked through, is 125 years old. So I think that... People are used to the concept of library, um, and so I think it's it's more rare for people to not understand it intrinsically mm -hmm. than it is for them to to question it. It's an interesting look. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah. And and with things moving in a digital direction, and with uh, that's crazy to me that digital checkouts would exceed uh, physical checkouts. But I I do understand. Um, this oh, you a, can just pack more things for vacation that way. Absolutely. And it's, but as we mentioned earlier, this is a lovely space. It's a massive building. And although it does house lots of people and lots of books and things and compute, you know, uh, physical objects, uh, it's also, as you mentioned, a public space. Um, and I just wondered what, what you've been thinking, if, if you have any thoughts on the idea that it's very rare these days that public spaces... Um, or the the third workspace, as you mentioned, was it what is it called the third, third space? Third space. Those third spaces, I think, are getting rarer and rarer in terms of actually being free and open to the public. Now they're becoming privatized. There's you know you have to buy a coffee. You don't have to buy a coffee at Starbucks, but you have to buy a coffee at Starbucks. Um, and it's it's this concept of the modern agora, where people come to share information, to share ideas, um, for, for ideas to come into conflict with each other and, mm -hmm. and hopefully growth to come out of those, uh, come out of that friction, that positive friction. Um, what's the importance of having like a physical space that's called the library as opposed to just like an online mm -hmm. database? Because it could, you could conceivably store everything here in an online database, right? There are so many ways to approach this question. So, on the one hand, mm -hmm. I think that that ab that ability to be, as you said, you know, the modern day agora—great choice of words, by the way—is um, part of our secret superpower, mm -hmm. right? Um, because we we not just allow you, we invite you into our space and we expect nothing in return. I think that gives libraries a certain degree of credibility. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at uh, the Pew data, we are one of the, I think it's the second or third most trusted institution in the country. People trust libraries and I think it's because of that. We invite you in and we expect nothing in return. We're just here for you. Mm -hmm. um, that said, a library is so much more than the space. Right. 
Um, if you look at COVID, right, um, our president, David Leonard, often says that we didn't actually close. The buildings were not available, but we were still working and we were still providing services and we had library staff I'm not making this up, this is not hyperbole, this actually happened. We had library staff standing in the street below the apartment of senior citizens yelling up to them to give them tech help. Whoa. So like, it's COVID and my kid just sent me a new smartphone so that we could keep in touch on you know, FaceTime or, or Google Chat, whatever. I don't know how to set it up. They called the library and our people just went running to help um, within the first, I want to say, between 48 and 72 hours, our children's librarians were already on Facebook Live doing story times. I mean, so it, it was an incredible experience to just watch how our frontline staff just rallied and figured out how to continue delivering services, even in the absence of of our space. So we brought the we brought the third space home to people, I guess. That's great. But it is, it is, it's a beautiful space. And I love, I would come here even if I didn't want anything from it. You know, mm -hmm. I would come here, I've, I have come here just to sit down with friends, just to sit down and talk. Um, Excellent. And, yeah. We love that. Yeah. And, and, and um, when I take a step back from that, you know, in a way, in a way I'm, I'll just constantly repeat myself throughout the conversation that it's just a wild, it's a wild idea. Um, and it, it's great that it has survived. Um, so I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you how we came to be. Yeah. Which is there was a guy by the name of Joshua Bates. He was a wealthy businessman, and I forget what year the bequest was, but um, he grew up poor. Uh, but he was lucky enough to cross paths with some affluent folks who had private libraries of their own. And they offered him access to their private library so he could learn and grow and become the successful entrepreneur that he did. Uh, he realized, he believed that everybody should have that access. And so he gave us the first donation that allowed us to buy what became our founding research collection. So Bates Hall, you know, sort of like mm -hmm. when you think of the Boston Public Library, that iconic room, yeah. uh, Bates Hall is named after him. Um, mm. and. Uh, he, he, was, he stipulated that the library should remain, wait for it, free to all. Is there, um, because it is free to all and because all sorts of people come in and because so many resources are provided here for folks who are coming from, as you mentioned, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, the library has a unique position almost as like this, well, you can let me know actually, I might be wrong about this, but the idea is that you might have a finger on the pulse of how things are doing in the city. Um, and I was wondering if the, if, you know, we know that libraries are critical to have a healthy culture. We know that libraries are critical to, um, you know, like a healthy intellectual dialogue and to keeping cultures alive. Um, but is there, do we understand um, how important libraries are? As you mentioned, it was hard to come up with a metric for what success looks like. Um, do we have a metric for um, the amount of services the libraries are providing or like how useful they are being? Impact is so hard yeah. to, to measure, of course. Uh, we're, it's actually one of the things that we're working on right now is, uh, you know, trying to up our metrics game, right? We, we count a lot of things. You know, we can tell you how many people walked through the front door of literally any building. Uh, we can tell you how many people attended programs. We can tell you all kinds of numbers. We can tell you how many ebooks were checked out versus regular, you know, yeah. all on and on and on. We mm -hmm. count a ton of things. But impact is really hard. And so we're, we're working, we're actually um, hiring somebody to think about our metrics. Um, and to just become like our, our in-house data scientists. Like what are these numbers telling us? Um, the good news is we have an incredibly, incredibly thoughtful, smart leadership team and workforce mm -hmm. who have been doing this for long enough that they, they have really good gut instincts. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's another story to tell 
um, it's in the data somewhere. We just don't know. We're, we're just not looking in. We're just not looking in the right place yet. Yet, um, you know, for me, um, as the chief of communications, um, one of the metrics I really want to be thinking about is patron acquisition. How many people don't know about us? Right. that we can now get through the front door. Mm -hmm. that, that's a thing I'd really like to know. Who's out there? Who's not using the library? Why aren't they using the library? Yeah. And what's the best way to talk to them about what's here for us? Because whoever you are, we've got something here for you. So that's, that's my metric goal. Yeah. Is there, um, you know, and, and you know, I'm sure the answer to this question will become more clear over time, but... Um, what are the areas the library still has to make changes in or grow in? What do you think the library could keep doing better? Mm. Well, one of the areas that we are growing in uh, is, uh, is human services and social services. So Mayor Wu actually, and I think very wisely, moved us under the human services cabinet. Mm. We are no, we're not under arts and culture anymore. We're now under human services. And I think that's right. And that is a place where we're growing our staff. We now have two social workers on staff, um, helping both um, our own staff and also our patrons. And we're seeing a lot more need in that area, people coming to us looking for information about housing, about health, about food insecurity. So we're, we're curating more and more information for people whose um, the needs are much lower in Maslow's hierarchy than they had been in the past. Yeah. Um, and that's national, that's a national trend. Um, when you talk to other libraries, they're all um, doing that. Everybody is seeing that. Um, you know, it's, I, I could comment on it, but it's, you know, it, it is a thing and we're, we're really trying to staff up to meet that need. Um, you know, thinking about, you know, how to become a trauma-informed institution. I mean, we're, we're seeing people whose needs are much higher than they have been in the past. Of course, you know, we're still welcoming, like, the little ones for story time, but yeah. um, the complexity of some of the, our other patrons um, is increasing for sure. Hmm. And you meant, uh, is our libraries linked with each other? So do you, does the library here talk to the library in California about... How things are going? Absolutely. The, so there's the Urban Library Council. There's the American Library Association. Um, there's the Massachusetts Library Association. There, and, and on and on and on. So sure. yeah, we are we're really active members of a lot of those. Um, you know, there are conferences that we're going to. I'm planning on going to urban libraries this coming fall for the first time. Um, COVID yeah. is a thing, but I'm I'm really looking forward to, and to look to meeting. Um, other folks who do what I do, I'm on a list serve with um, all the Urban Library Council members, um, all their communications folks, and it is incredible to see, um, gosh, how many smart and thoughtful and creative and amazing people also work in this space. So I'm looking forward to meeting some of them face to face. But yes, um, there's a lot of conversation about best practices, about the challenges we face. So we do have a really good sense of what's going on in the rest of the country. Hmm. And, um, you know, stepping back from the social side of things and back to the information side of things, uh, when I was a kid, there were, I loved Harry Potter. And I learned at some point that Harry Potter had been banned in certain places, or people had tried to move to ban Harry Potter. And I, it, it just, it wouldn't click. So, um, but I was lucky to grow up in, in Boston where, uh, and in Massachusetts, I guess, overall, but just this idea that banned books shouldn't exist, that you should read them. You know, I, I grew up with teachers who would wear, like, we read banned books t-shirts, and it would be something, there was, a, there was a month of it in the library, you know, and we would go and check out stuff and read stuff that had been banned across the country. Um, I'd read an article in The Globe that had said Massachusetts actually, and, and the BPL specifically, has not received many uh, requests to have books yeah, uh, has not received many requests to have books removed at all. Um, but it is something that libraries across the country are facing increasing pressure about. Um, and, you know, recently the Biden administration has had to take a position. Um, is there a way that libraries can help other libraries when facing this kind of pressure? I will answer that as a proud Hufflepuff. Excellent. <laughs> um, 
so you know, we, we, we talk to one another a lot, and you know, one of the things that we are doing here is we're, we're really shoring up our processes and policies around um, review, right? So somebody can request a review of a book and say, I don't think this is appropriate for you to have on your shelf. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're, we're really working to shore up the policy so that if somebody came to us and said, you know, we think you should pull this off, we would be able to point to a, a written policy and say, nope, X, Y, Z, P, D, and Q. Yeah. I mean, we've got some wildly offensive stuff yeah. on our, in, our, in our collections. I mean, we've got Mein Kampf, mm -hmm. you know, and as a Jew, like, yeah, that's a vaguely problematic book for me, but right. I will defend to the death the fact that it should be in our collection, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think, you know, we need to get beyond what's offensive to people and, you know, like you need to know, you need to know, right? Um, and we are repositories of that knowledge. Yeah. So I think shoring up our policies is one thing. Um, in, any, uh, in any situation, I think you need to figure out who your decision makers are and who the people are that can put pressure on you. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to sort of be talking to them on a regular basis, proactively, mm -hmm. educating them before it happens, right? Um, you're, you know, this is not true here necessarily. We are very lucky, but you know, your political leaders, how do you give them cover to take a stand Mm -hmm. against what we would consider to be inappropriate requests for banning books that should be on shelves. So I, you know, it's a matter of figuring out who your audience is, where, where is the risk, um, communicating with them in the name of intellectual freedom, um, and then just keeping your fingers, toes, and eyes crossed, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a very, very disturbing trend. There's a, it seems like there's a degree of faith in... Um, I'm sorry, can I say one other thing? Sure. I apologize. And I really, you know, librarians um, hold master's degrees, right? Mm -hmm. this, is, this is an advanced degree. And what they do, like literally their raison d'etre, their reason for existing, um, is to make good choices about the information that they curate and deliver to the public, mm -hmm. right? Um, a keyboard warrior does not have that information, right? So like we really, really trust our staff to make good decisions about truth and appropriateness. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I needed to point that out because it, th these are not decisions being made by lay people. These are, you know, deciding what what is appropriate or not these are this, these are decisions made by highly highly educated extremely thoughtful people mm -hmm. whose whole job it is to curate and disseminate good information is that a narrative that you feel like has been out there that there's no Okay. I, not enough, I don't think. Um, but you know, we we live in a society where there are people who think that um, having an advanced degree is a reason to suspect you rather than trust you. Sure. So that's challenging. Yeah, yeah, and it, it ties into what I was going to bring up, which is that there's a um, there's a degree of faith you kind of have to have in people for a uh, intellectually diverse society to exist. Which is to say, you have you can have a book like Mein Kampf on these shelves and not believe that we're going to fall into a fascist regime because Mein Kampf is on a bookshelf in the Boston Public Library. Um, not necessarily because the book doesn't have power, but because there are so many other books around it. There are so many people who come with a good heart, with a good understanding of context, who are not he who are making good decisions, I guess. And, and I think one of the fears people can have about an institution that is constantly giving is that because it is always giving and not asking for anything in return, it doesn't control the folks who are getting what is being given to them. And the library gets to offer a degree of faith where it's, we don't need to. That's not our job, right? It's our, our job is just to get that information to people. And we believe that in that mission, we make the culture healthier, we make our democracy better, we make our society um, kinder, more educated, and we move in a direction where we don't, like the library doesn't have to choose the direction of the society, but we will curate the 
information that helps inform the good decisions of people who hopefully mm -hmm. will, right? Um, and it's, it does seem that that kind of faith in people that I think is integral to how a library works is rarer and rarer and rarer. Um, rare, wow, saying that word. More rare. More rare. <laughs> it is Grows more increasingly rare. rare. Grows increasingly rare. There we go. See, that's the, that's the years of experience that I don't have showing up. <laughs> um, but it's all good. So um, I, I'm just looking up yeah. a quote very quickly that is written on the outside of our building um, because I think it really, it, it speaks to what you are saying. Um, and I want to make sure that I get the language right. For sure. Give me one brief moment. Mm -hmm. um, I'll sit in here. Here we go. Okay. So to, to your point about the library's place in society, this quote on the outside of the McKim building, I think, resonates more, more truly today than almost ever before, which is, the Commonwealth requires the education of the people as the safeguard of order and liberty. Mm. Yeah. Period, full stop, right? Yeah. Um, if there was ever a better reason for a library to exist, I'm not really sure what it is right now. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll read this question exactly as I worded it for you, because I, I tried to be specific with this one. Um, so in Missouri, we have seen mm -hmm. state government threaten to take away funding if rules surrounding which books can be accessed by different age groups aren't followed. Uh, similar threats to deny funding are being leveled around the country for libraries to continue doing their jobs and informing that commonwealth, as we spoke about. Um, what needs to happen? There needs to be a growing understanding that information is not scary. And I sort of feel like that's, that's the fundamental of it. I don't know how we got to a scenario where people no longer believe in the freedom of information and in the power of people to make their own choices. And so that's not a tactical answer at all, obviously. That's sort of a very, that's a, that's a big morality th thought sure. right there. But that's, that is fundamental. I mean, we, libraries are not gatekeepers. Um, we're quite the opposite. Um, and so and nobody should be a gatekeeper of information. Of, of true, honest, vetted information. Information mm -hmm. should be free. Um, there's a reason it's called the Freedom of Information Act, right? Information wants to be free. Um, and if we call ourselves the land of the free, I think that should include our information. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think um, it's been interesting to watch uh, from my perspective growing up, you know, I was, I was, I was once, I was asked recently what a, my five-year plan was, and I, I responded by saying, uh, well, there was no, there has been no five-year span of my life so far where I haven't been drastically different, right? So, like, take me back five years, I'm 18, take me back five years, I'm 13, uh, and then, you know, I'm eight. So, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's difficult for me to look in that span of time, but in the, from when I was 16, uh, and and the political unrest that came with Donald Trump to now, um, I've watched people uh, harden and start to... Uh, everyone gets to play a conservative in some way, but I, I mean it in the true sense of the word, which is trying to conserve a boundary of like, this is what is true, this is what is real, this is what needs to be the thought world of all Americans. And that's been something I've watched my friends do. I've watched people I look up to do. Um, I've, I've probably done myself. Um, but it seems like it's a, a fear response to 
the world and just how scary things can be. And when it seems like things aren't going your way, uh, you want to just be like, well, this is the line. I'm, I'm going to stand here, you know? Change is scary. Yeah, change is change scary. Change is very, very scary. Um, and so I, I think I agree about about the fear response. You know, people, people like to hearken back to an America that never actually existed. Right, yeah. Um, and I forget what the meme was, but it was sort of like, it's not pie. You know, if, if one ethnicity does better, it doesn't mean you're doing worse. It's yeah. not pie. It's not pie. That's okay. The beeping is fine. Um, so in terms of how people can act to protect libraries, are there things we can do um, to help protect the sanctity of free information, maybe in our state or outside of our state? Um, you know, I think that you know, having spent a, a, a good deal of my career sort of in and around politics, I think giving politicians um, cover from their constituents is really important. Um, what does that mean, giving cover? No, it's, it's a great question. Um, I'll, I'm happy to explain. Nominally, a politician is elected because their constituents believe that they're going to do the right thing by them. Sure. And so they need to hear from their constituents what their constituents want. And if enough constituents say a thing, they have to listen, right? Otherwise, maybe they don't get elected. This is not about making threats, but um, politicians do want to hear from their constituents. They want to know which way the wind is blowing. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, um, I'm looking for the word. I think that people think that politicians don't want to hear from their constituents, but what I have seen in my experience is that the opposite is true. And when I talk about giving political cover, like if enough constituents say like, absolutely not, you will not ban this book, you will not ask for this to be taken off the right. shelf, right? That's important. So like people need, People need to sort of, you know, speak up, make their voices heard. Um, now is not the time uh, to stick our heads in the sand and say it can't happen here. It absolutely could. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, people really, like, be aware, be thoughtful, be loud. Um, so that, to me, that is thing one. You know, where does the risk, where is the risk coming from? Look there. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and support your support your library. <laughs> what does that mean? What does it mean? Um, what does it mean? It means a lot of things. It means come in and and use the resources so that when somebody says to you, "Well, are you a library user?" you can say yes. Yeah. And I understand. Like, come visit and fully understand why it is so important to protect these institutions. Um, we do a lot of good for a lot of people. Uh, you know, you think about p kids, right? Teens who are exploring who they are. If there are not books on the shelves that reflect who they are, whatever that means, um, it's a lot harder for them to sort of grow into full human beings, yes. right? So, I mean, to me, that's, a, that's a, an extraordinarily important reason. As a mother, that's an extraordinarily important reason for me to make sure that there is, you know, representation matters, right? We all say it all the time, but mm -hmm. representation matters. And if the books are not on the shelves or in the digital stacks, sure. um, we're going to have a very um, confused um, and not fully realized generation of kids yeah yeah they were, they were i don't mean to sound so negative because i i, I well i think ex i think explaining risks accurately is important and i think um when those risks are dire it's important not to shy away mm -hmm. so uh, i agree with you and i think it's uh it was critical for me growing up to read books about uh people who i did not uh, this is sort of on the other side, but people who I did not see myself in and then find that I could find pieces of myself mm -hmm. in or find that they illustrated a 
principle or direction that I wanted to include in who I became mm-hmm. or the things I did. Um, and also, you know, just to amplify what you're saying is when, when you think about the library as Agora, right, um, where else can you come and see sort of like folks from Beacon Hill shoulder to shoulder with people who are unhoused and maybe struggling, right? Yeah. That's important for somebody to see, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you bring your kid to the library and they see the whole like polyglot empire that we have here, yeah. that's important, right? That's really, really important. I mean, it's an outdated expression, but we used to talk about America as a melting pot, mm-hmm. you know, which makes it sound like we were all melting down into a homogenous thing, but which is wrong. And but, but there was this, you know, there's, you should see people who are different than you. Yeah. It's really, really, really important. Yeah. Um, and you can do that here. Um, and if you're sitting at home, you can read about people who are different than you, like on your ebook or yeah. on your Kindle or your Nook or whatever, right? So like, that is what we are here for. We are here to expand people's horizons. Mm-hmm. Um, and God damn it, we're gonna keep doing it. It's a proximity thing, I think, that a lot of people yes. uh, maybe miss. I mean, I, I guess there's that old, the expression of uh, the quote, uh, like, traveling is the enemy of, um, I forget, no, I'm forgetting the whole quote. But the idea is, the idea is that, like, if, if you see the world and if you travel, it's much harder to be close-minded. 100%. Um, and, and not that the library is a huge distance from anyone in Boston or that any of the libraries are, but you can come here and you have the proximity to different people from different walks of life. And if it's scary to you or if it make, if it challenges you or if it makes your life harder, that not harder, but if it makes you question something about where you are or the way the world is or the way your city is, that's good, right? It's important Very. to... It's critical. To, to feel unbalanced in a moment. If you, if you see someone who's unhoused and your primary reaction is fear, that's, you, t- you take that in. Hopefully you'd be able to take that in and say, why am I scared? You know, like, wh- or why, why is this allowed? Why, why, am I, why, sh- why should I? If, you, if you're saying I shouldn't have to experience this, perhaps you should be asking, what can I do to stop this? How, how can I make things better, right? Um, yes, but please. that starts with discomfort. And, it, and, and discomfort isn't the bedrock of all new experience and the library offers just continuous new experiences, right? So I, I totally agree. Um, I know we're closing in on time here. Uh, I really appreciate your time and I want to respect it. Um, so I just wanted to open up the last few minutes to you if there's any points you feel are super important that we didn't get to cover or if there's anything, events, stuff coming up that we want to highlight for the library. Um. It's funny, when I was looking at your question about, you know, what are some events coming up or resources? And um, I started thinking about it and I got completely overwhelmed because yeah, there's so, so much. much. There's just so much. But a couple things that we're doing right now that are pretty cool. Um, and I, so we just reopened special collections. So um, we have a quarter million objects in our special collections. Um, we, it is a world-class um, it is a world-class collection. We have John Adams Library. We've got um, we've got amazing art and amazing music. I mean, uh, the MFA actually, um, when they did their uh, Toulouse-Lautrec exhibition, almost half of the prints in that exhibition came from the Boston Public Library's Whoa. holding. And I kind of really love the idea that the MFA checked out some stuff from us. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so. It's a it's a world class special collections um, and it's museum quality. But the difference between a museum and a public library is that the museum it's behind glass and you can't touch it. Mm-hmm. But the public library you can. We hold these objects in trust for the public. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that our special collections team has done is they've created this series of monthly drop in opportunities. Uh, so right now, um, there's one for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So they've curated a bunch of stuff out of our special collections, which is rare and interesting. And Wednesday through Friday from 9.30 to 4.30, you can just go on up to special collections and look at it. Whoa. I know. Um, ordinarily, you'd have to make an appointment. You could still come, but ordinarily, you'd have to make an appointment. This is a drop-in thing. 
And then they'll be doing that again for Pride um, in June. So they're in the middle of curating their, their Pride collection. But yeah, Wednesdays and Wednesday through Friday, 9.30 to 4.30. Like, come see some cool old stuff. Yeah. Um, it's there. Like, right now, uh, we have Shakespeare's first folio just, like, on display. You can come see it. It's one of, what, 12? How many are those? I can't remember how I many. I know Brandeis but has it's kind one. Of, it's kind yeah. of a big deal. Yeah. Um, so that's a thing. Um, concerts in the Courtyard will be launching next month, which is just, uh, ugh, I mean, the Boston Public Library Courtyard, summer day, music, are you even kidding me with this? Like, yeah. it's just, it's, um, it's such a great, it's just, it's a great moment to, as a staff member, to walk out and just see all these people lounging in the courtyard and listening to amazing music. It's, it's so cool. It's one of my favorite things about the summer. Um, in terms of the online world, like, yeah, you can stream and download and you can find all kinds of movies and great stuff. We, funnily enough, we have, it's a stressful world out there right now, folks, right? And uh, we actually have the Headspace app. Whoa. So, yeah. So you can, like, basically check out the Headspace app for That's a certain neat. amount of time. Use that to sort of, like, chill yourself out as you come out of finals or maybe like head into summer, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, we also, um, sort of a little more seriously, a uh, little known fact is that you can email your resume to us and people will look at it and make recommendations. It's just as easy as that. Where do they email it? Ask at bpl.org. Cool. Uh, we have the whole um, Kirstein Business Library and Innovation Center, which is just like full of all kinds of skill building. Like you want to do better with Photoshop or, you know, any creative software. There's a, um, here are two interesting things we have at, um, at Kirstein that people tend not to know about. First of all, uh, we have the InnoLab, uh, which is actually painted as a green screen. Uh, you can, it's also soundproof, so you can do podcasts in there, you could nice. do green screen in there, and we do have people who sort of like come in either weekly or monthly, and they're doing their podcasts out of the Boston Public Library, which is super cool. Yeah. Also, uh, we have a 3D printer down there, and your library card gets you three free 3D prints per month. So per we've actually, yeah. So we've actually That's had, um, we've actually had entrepreneurs come and like, I mean, it's, it's small, but like you, like you, it makes small things. But uh, we've had people come in and like prototype inventions to take on a business pitch for them. Wow! So that's a nifty thing that nobody knows about. That's more than nifty. I know. <laughs> um, and you know, then and then I was sort of like looking through, like what is what's happening in the branches? Like, there's story time. There's knitting. We have knitting classes. We have chess clubs. We got all kinds of stuff. Nice. So um, I would strongly encourage your listeners. Um, if they've made it this far um, through my rambling, to um, go to bpl.org because it's not just sort of here's what the library is, but you can actually access services um, through the website and you can sign up for an e-card. Um, as long as you are a resident of Massachusetts, we are the Library for the Commonwealth, so as long as you're in Massachusetts, you can get an e-card um, and sort of immediately start using our resources, whether it's Headspace or a movie or music or pretty much anything your little heart desires. Lisa, thank you so much. It, it is a, a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you so much for a really thought-provoking conversation. Like there were some long pauses in there because I really had to pull my, pull my thoughts together. But awesome. thanks so much for coming in. All right, great.